Welcome to the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I am your host, Leah Darrow, and I share with you inspirational people who are truly doing something beautiful to make our world better. We are inspired by the words of St. Mother Teresa of Calcutta, who said, do something beautiful for God. Do it with your life. Do it every day. Do it in your own way, but do it. Hello and welcome again to another episode of the Do Something Beautiful podcast. I'm your host, Leah, and I am so happy to have you here. I have a couple of reminders before we jump into this conversation. I love my guest today. She's so fantastic. She is one of our presenters inside Lux You. And on top of that, she's just a fabulous woman who just has a great head on her shoulders and is so down to earth and practical and just uber smart. And I just, I love this about her. So we're talking about Dr. Carrie Grass. But before we get to Carrie, before we get to Dr. Carrie here, Let me remind you of a few things. One, make sure you sign up to find out when the next registration opens for LuxU, Lux University for Catholic Women. So click on the link for LuxU if you're not sure what it is or if you're not sure when the registration is, click on that. It'll give you all the information there for you. And then the next one is that I am leading a pilgrimage to Italy. My friends, come to Italy with me. Come on, it'll be fun. I promise you. Actually, I do promise you. They are completely life-changing I am leading this pilgrimage with Father Michael O'Loughlin, who's a Byzantine Catholic priest. If that name sounds familiar, that's because he is one of the hosts of the very popular, in fact, uh, the number one most popular Catholic podcast out there, which is called Catholic Stuff You Should Know. So if you listen to Catholic podcasts, I'm sure you already listened to that one. Father Michael is a dear friend of mine, and we lead these pilgrimages together every couple years. So June 2020, that is the date we are setting out for. So you can go ahead and click on the pilgrimage link inside the show notes to find out all the information. And then you can put your name down and put a deposit down and save your spot. We are letting people know about this pilgrimage, this pilgrimage, excuse me, um, way in advance so that one, you have time to plan because you need that. You need time to save, you need time to plan, but also so that you can, if you want to make, you can make like monthly payments to the pilgrimage. So those things are, those, all of those things are available. We are going to Italy, if I haven't mentioned that or not. Um, We are going to Italy and we are hitting all of the most amazing, places that you can. We'll be there for almost two weeks, January 1st through the 13th. And we are going to be hitting Rome and Assisi and San Giovanni Rotondo, Padre Pio. And then we're going to make a nice little trek over and we're going to hit, wait, wait for it, the Amalfi Coast. Oh, my friends. Oh, my friends. Just picture yourself. Picture yourself with a cold, nice, fruity adult beverage on the beach. Time Riviera, Amalfi Coast. Are you, are you, oh, the, I mean, does it get better? Oh my gosh. I just don't know. So we have like the whole spiritual retreat for you, everything about that. And then we're going to give you like the actual physical vacation. This pilgrimage is really special. I am really excited about this one. So go ahead and check it out on the pilgrimage tab. And then the last thing, sorry, I forgot one more thing to mention to you is that we have started a Patreon page for the podcast. And I'm really pumped about this because I have been doing this podcast now for a little over two and a half years. And I've just been doing it on my own, doing what I can, you know, in between kids and having babies and writing books and doing, just, you know, life, life stuff. But I want to give more. And I, I've been having this draw on my heart for a long time, especially with this podcast. I love the messages I get from how it's helped, helped you and helped deepen your faith or you can share it with friends and, and it's just fun and, and lighthearted. I I am so happy about that. 
but I want to give more and I want to give better. And so in order to do that, I need support and I need help. It's just plain and simple. There's no getting around it. And so no good work is ever done alone, ever, ever. And I'm, I'm asking and I'm looking for your support. If you would be a patron of the Do Something Beautiful podcast. Now we have created some great tiers, great tiers of patronage for you. And you know, if you know me, you know I love The Office. So I've created these tiers according to characters of The Office. So you can, you got to listen, you got to just check it out. You got to check out the website just so that you can read it. And you can look at all like the little gifts that I put underneath there to describe each tier. I really, I really make myself laugh. (laughs) Oh my gosh, I should probably re-record this one. Okay, okay, I'm gonna pull it together. But they're really funny. Stanley Hudson, I believe his says, shove it up your butt, um, which is just, it makes me laugh so hard. Um, But you can support me in all these different types of tiers. Every tier has like a little thing that you get with it. So like, for instance, if you support me at, um, and support the podcast at the Jim Halpert tier, one of the things that you would get, one of them, there's actually quite a few in that tier. One of the things you'll get is our very own custom, beautiful, do something beautiful mug. This type of swag is only available to my patrons. I'm not going to sell this to anybody else. This is just for those people who support the podcast. It's like a special thing I've I've created and I've made just for y'all to support this podcast and so that we can do something beautiful together. But those are the fun things. So just go ahead and check it out if you don't mind. It'd be really great. And again, go to the Patreon link in the show notes and you'll be able to see it. It's patreon.com slash Darrow. Um, it's also in the show notes, but those are my three announcements. Now let's get let's let's get to our guest here, which is Dr. Carrie Gress. Dr. Carrie Gress, oh, this woman, this woman is absolutely fabulous in what she has to offer. Dr. Carrie Gress is a fabulous Catholic philosopher, theologian, and she has written many, many books: The Marian Option, The Anti-Mary Exposed, which, oh, dang. We're going to talk about that. So I'll just leave. We'll, we'll talk about that in the podcast and I'll just leave it there for right now. But like, you have to read that book. If, if you want to understand what's going on in our culture with this radical feminist movement that's just kind of overtaking everything and you're trying to figure out like what in the heck has happened and how did we get here? Well, uh, Dr. Carey explains that quite beautifully and succinctly in that book, The Anti-Mary Exposed. But we talk about that. But we also talk about something really pertinent to our everyday lives, which is the theology of home. And I know sometimes we think home and you're thinking, well, I mean, like, I don't really have a home. I just have an apartment that I go to that I crash at at night and I get up and I go to work and I do that again. But that's not the way that we want to look at it. Home is is so much more. And so we go into that. I really like this because I've never heard anyone in the Catholic Church talk about this. This, this particular concept of theology of home and what home can do to change our life and anyone who enters into it. So it was really beautiful. I, I, I love everything that Carrie does. I hope that you follow her, especially on social media and especially just like all of her works, all of the writing that she does because she has just got so much that she's offering the world and really building up the kingdom. So again, uh, without further ado here, here is our wonderful and beautiful guest, Dr. Carrie Gress. All right, another beautiful day to have a beautiful, 
beautiful podcast interview with, again, I'm going to use this word many times, but it's totally worth it, the beautiful Dr. Carrie Gress talking <laughs> about the beautiful woman, Our Lady, Mother Mary. Carrie, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's always fun to be with you. It is. We have a lot of fun working <laughs> together. We'll talk a little bit about that later with your work within LuxU. But for right now, we have a lot to cover. We have a lot <laughs> to cover in this podcast. And we are, we've, we've already planned something like a different podcast or a different episode, a different something where we're going to go over some more materials that have, that you cover in many of your books kind of overlapping. You are the author of many, 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 many books. Some of the ones that you might be familiar with, you fantastic listeners, you would be the Marian Option or the Anti-Mary Exposed. Ooh, that is, that. that's a that's a crazy one. You read that one and you're like, what is happening with the world? Praise be to God that we have the Blessed Mother. And then you've got some other big things going on. You have a new book called Theology of Home, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But I mean, all of these things are so connected. Let's start with just this book, The Marian Option. My first thought within The Marian Option is I want to know, like, what other options are there? <laughs> When you say the Marian option, it, I mean, it feels like we should be choosing that one. But right. like that option versus what? Can we just dive in there? Oh, sure. Yeah. Well, the Marian option came out of or in response to Rod Dreher's the Benedict option. And that's that's the option that most people are familiar with. And so I was looking at Dreher's work and, and just trying to figure out, you know, what exactly was the Benedict option. And he's kind of changed his position, especially from what his initial arguments about the Benedict option were initially his whole point was, you know, things are bad and they're going to get worse. We need to sort of head to the hills the way St. Benedict did when Rome was crumbling and kind of live purposefully in these smaller communities, preferably around monasteries. But all the things that Dreyer kept laying out, it was really clear to me that like St. Benedict's great and I have a huge devotion to him, but Our Lady has responded to all the crises throughout history in a much better way. So I kept looking at, you know, what are our issues? We're, we're dealing with Islam. She's dealt with that. We're dealing with trying to evangelize people. She's dealt with that. She's dealt with disease. She's dealt with wars, you know, all these kinds of, of issues, secularism even. So it just, that that's kind of where the direction that I went into. But of course, you know, many other options sprung up, the Tolkien option, the, you know, the St. Paul option, all kinds of things. But I think really mine is the definitive one because of the fact that not only does God send saints specifically for the need in that culture at that time. So St. Benedict came to sort of restore and maintain culture at the time when, you know, the world was really a disaster. You have someone like St. Francis who's coming along and, and he's promoting the poorness of, of himself and of order, the religious life at a time when the church is being choked by riches. You have St. Ignatius coming along when, you know, the Reformation is happening. He's founding the Jesuits. So you can see over and over and over again where, you know, God sends the right saint for the right time. And as a lot of my research is showing, you know, the the issue that we have in the culture today is really women. And so it, it makes sense, especially if you look at the last century, how much emphasis there has been on Our Lady, the number of encyclicals written about her, Pope Leo Thirteenth wrote like 13 of them. All of our popes have had Marian devotion, apparitions have been on the rise. Devotion to her has been on the rise. So I, I think we can really see that God is suggesting that this woman is the antidote to the, so many of the struggles that we have in the culture today. And, you know, she's a multitasker. She can deal with all of these issues instead of just one specific one. And that's kind of the exciting thing is we know when we're devoted to her that she's the one that's going to help lead our lives 
to that path that God has put us on. She knows better than we do what our vocation is, and she wants us to live that out well. And so she's going to help guide us do that. And that's, you know, what a good mother does. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things you said there, Carrie, really stood out to me, like, and maybe other people have heard this before, but if God sends the right saint at the right time, then what does it mean? What's the deeper meaning of God choosing Mary to bear his son for the salvation of the world? And the salvation of the world wasn't just for that one time when Jesus walked the earth, but obviously for all souls that ever have been or will be. So the queen of saints, Mary, Mm -hmm. you think about her, you know, her way as you call it, the Marian option is so perfect for today. And it will be perfect for even a thousand years from now because Mm -hmm. of how God has chosen her to play her part in the role of redemption and salvation. Yeah. And I think that's a great point and really underscores, you know, there's something distinctively different about her. She's not just one saint among many, but in fact, because of this very unique relationship and because of her purity and her, you know, immaculate conception, all of those things, she's just on a different level. And um, as a result of that, it just makes it all the more reasonable for us to go to her and have her guide us and love us because of the gift that she is to us. And she knows, she knows better than anyone what it cost her son to get to achieve our salvation. And she doesn't want to see that wasted. So that's the other reason why she's such an advocate for us. I think, you know, we ne- we never think about her as being a victim, but she's an incredible victim. I mean, what she went through watching her son die on the cross and all of that is fruitful. All of that is really part of her motivation to help us, you know, not fritter away what Christ did for our salvation. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think here that you were already hinting at it, but let me just ask this. What led you to this idea of writing this book, The Marian Option? I think you'd mentioned something like like about like with women today, kind of hinting at something with that. Like, can you kind of just dive a little bit deeper into like what you see going on right now, in particular mm-hmm. women's role in the church or in the world, for better or for worse? And right. and obviously the Marian option is the way for us to kind of get back on track. But what from your point of view, what did you see? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I've had this kind of idea, the seed planted years ago. I can even remember exactly where I was. It was driving in a car in D.C. late one night, and it just struck me that so much of our problems in the culture really go back to women. And I didn't have categories to think about it well. I couldn't figure out, like, what was going on. But the more that I've thought about it and dug into it, and obviously the Holy Spirit's influence I've just been digging deeper and going deeper. What is wrong with women today? And I think I first started really thinking about this. I wrote a book called Ultimate Makeover, The Transforming Power of Motherhood. And that was based on my own experience as a a mom and just realizing how hard motherhood is. But then also simultaneously realizing it's supposed to be hard, that, that the challenges of it are what transform us into amazing women into these women that, you know, a lot of times we, we don't even actually meet them. We, we hear about them or we can read about them in books, kind of those amazing matriarchy kind of women that are, you know, funny and fun and selfless and wise. So I just was really inspired by that idea of how do I become that woman that I admire so much and obviously that the world needs so much today. But why is it that we don't see enough of these women? And I think it comes back to, again, this idea of, you know, we're truly trying to control so much of our culture. And that's what radical feminism has really led us to is this idea that this false lie that, you know, we should be powerful 
and not fruitful. So I, I think it started there and then it just developed even further when I wrote the Marian option, I, I really wrote the Marian option as a response to the Benedict option, but I could see how it fit so neatly with what I was already thinking about and what I was working on and, and just diving deeper into really showing who Our Lady is. Because a lot of times we we don't we can't relate to her. We feel like she's very one-dimensional or very saccharine, and we don't feel like she's a real person. So it was interesting to even kind of dive into who she is theologically and look at her more carefully in that book. And then, of course, it just extended with this book, my latest book, The Anti-Mary Exposed, which actually came out of the Marian option. I started thinking about this idea of an anti-Mary when I was working on the Marian option, and I actually have a chapter on it in the book. So anyway, it's it's one of those things where you can really see, again, the Holy Spirit leading me and guiding me and just going deeper. And creating almost like this triptych of, you know, an icon of how do we look at women, what's gone wrong with them, and how do we get back to these amazing fruits and beauty that women crave in their lives, and yet we don't have the resources to, you know, really fulfill them because of the lies that our culture is is giving us today and telling us will fulfill us, but actually are leaving us more empty and broken. Yes. Oh my gosh. I think many of us right now are shaking our heads being like, yep, so many of those lies. Uh, And it's not just those lies that hit us maybe before we get married in those earlier ages of, you know, Mm -hmm. like late teens and early 20s, maybe even early 30s, where it's all about you and do whatever you want and career first, career first. And don't worry, you're going to get everything later. We promise, we promise. Mm -hmm. And then you realize Mm -hmm. later might not come because there's been this many things, lack of priority over things that you really want because the pressure that you have to have this lifestyle Mm -hmm. or the way that things look right now. And so you push off your dreams for someone else's narrative and, yeah. you know, culture's idea of you. Exactly. And I think that that's, that is the hard part is just how much our lives are really dictated by the culture. And, you know, I love the example of thinking about someone like Abby Johnson and Unplanned. We, we can see very, very clearly that her husband hates her job, her parents hate her job. And yet, how long does she continue in that job? because she was getting all kinds of affirmation from the women that she worked with and from the culture that she was doing something good. So I I think that it's fascinating to just see how powerful what I've started to call the, the matriarchy is. And that's this group of women that really control so much of our media and the way that we think today because of their influence in things like Hollywood, politics, fashion industry, magazines, book publishing, all of these are controlled by an elite group of women that are, are really joined at the hip on this idea of abortion without any limitations. And it's because they see our children as an obstacle. It's another one of those lies that our children are an obstacle to our success rather than part of our success. So it's amazing when you start looking at it. You know, I'm not remotely a conspiracy theorist, but it's just self-evident at this point when you start looking at how much is really controlled by these women and this narrative. And um, it's led to so many unhappy people. I mean, there's, it's amazing how many 50, 60, 70 year old women, you know, I'm meeting and hearing about that are like, you know, I was told by my feminist mom to do this. And now I have no husband. I have no children. You know, I'm, I have a job, but it's not nearly as fulfilling or, you know, it's, it doesn't it doesn't fill me up. It's not what I wanted for my life. This wasn't a future I dreamed of being alone and just having my career. So I think that it's it's incredibly sad to see what has happened to so many women because we've kind of boxed ourselves out of, of what we authentically want and deep in our hearts. 
Yeah. Oh gosh, absolutely. This matriarchy you speak of, <laughs> <laughs> this matriarchy that's behind the scenes, yeah. but they're like, what do they, so let's talk about yeah. that because that kind of leads into this anti-Mary, which we've talked about before. The anti-Mary Exposed is one of your latest mm-hmm. books that you have out and you actually taught a course within LuxU, Lux University on this. Very happy to announce that here on this podcast. So excited for my current LuxU members and then my new ones during registration that'll open in the fall of 2019 for you to be able to have this course available to you. Because this was, Carrie, when we recorded this, (laughs) everyone in the room, I mean, our film crew, myself, obviously, and I've read, like, okay, I've read the book. I've read the book. But to hear you teach a course on this, I so many times had tears in my eyes because of the very distinct evil thread that has gone through our culture Mm -hmm. and us women that's created what you've called this matriarchy that has fueled these lies and literally stolen dreams and hope from so many women Mm -hmm. that robs us from the ability or the courage or even the time left to do what we've been created to do. No, and I think you're right to frame it that way because it's incredibly dramatic how much an effect they have had on the culture. And like I said, I think we just don't realize it. We just are sort of used to thinking of things in isolation. But when you start seeing it, this group, the matriarchy, you can't unsee it. It's kind of there. So yeah, it's it's incredible to see how our strings are being pulled. And um, it is one of those things that even ideologically, these groups are entirely different. And you could see this with the women's movement, you know, it kind of ended up splintering because the ideological views started, you know, clashing. But at the same time, you see this great cohesion that has been in the movement for the last 50 years, again, because of the fact that they all agree on abortion, that that is the one thing that they've sort of circled our wagons on. And that's why the, the rhetoric is just so over the top. In fact, what's fascinating to see is how much the rhetoric hasn't changed, that you can see arguments now, especially recently with the Georgia heartbeat bill and all of these bills that have, pro-life bills that have been passing on the state level. They're using the exact same rhetoric that was used Back in the 1960s and 70s, you know, fighting against the patriarchy and, you know, women can't get ahead and women are victims. It's the exact same thing. They haven't had to change it because we haven't found a way to combat it. So they just keep saying the exact same things over and over again. In fact, even, you know, recently Serena Williams was blaming the patriarchy for a tantrum she had on the tennis court, you know, that it was the patriarchy's fault. And, you know, nobody really even knows what that means anymore. But somehow it's just been used so much and become so part of them, you know, the blame game that people feel like they just need to continue on with it because it works. So, yeah, it's pretty overwhelming when you start seeing just how entrenched they are in in Western culture. Mm. Okay, so... Let's try to dissect a little bit to help Mm -hmm. us understand if this is a new term, the matriarchy, for people to hear, to understand. We clearly are very familiar with the patriarchy, and that seems to be— The villainous patriarchy, right? (laughs) Right. Like, like anything wrong in your life as a woman 
mm-hmm. is because of the patriarchy. Like, I mean, you have a period because of the patriarchy. <laughs> I mean, that's probably what they would love to probably prove at some point. But anyway, um, I'm being facetious, but still. So right. let's go over the tenets of the matriarchy or the tenets mm-hmm. of the anti-Mary, at least. Mm-hmm. Like sure. what, if we could group these or bullet point them outside of, we clearly know they're going to be pro-abortion on demand anytime. Right. What else right. would group underneath this area? Well, I guess this is where it gets really interesting because, of course, it's it's an anti-Mary. So they're anti-anything Mary is for. So very, very specifically, they're anti-virginity and they're anti-motherhood. The two areas that we know, and, you know, if we look back at the history of the church, where's the fruit of the church? It's in consecrated women and it's in mothers. So it's very much targeting those two things. And in fact, even Sue Ellen Browder in her book, Subverted, talks about how in Cosmo magazine, they made up these stories about the Cosmo woman. Um, Sue says they could make any story they wanted to about any woman, any kind of an adventure that she had in her life, but she could not be a virgin and she could not be a mother. Those are the two things that she could never write about in these made up stories. So that piece is really being targeted. And I think that's what's so fascinating to me. And really one of the pieces that I, I flesh out in the book is you know, why are they targeting this? Why are they targeting the virgin mother? So that's interesting. So yeah, then of course, you've as part and parcel of that, you've got abortion, which is of course, totally anti-Marian and historically crazy. I mean, there's never been an age where you had this massive sense that a woman felt comfortable, even boastful, that she killed her own child. I mean, if you look at that in a historical context, Every, in the past, you know, every war, it was always fought by men who were killing men they didn't know. You know, there were civil wars and things like that that happened that, you know, you might have brother fighting brother. But it was still within a context of men killing strangers over some kind of cause. But this is women killing their own children. And that's completely new. And the fact that that's on such a huge scale and, you know, now all the efforts to try and destigmatize this. I know even a few weeks ago, there was a piece on the cut called My Best Abortion. And this one was just touting how, you know, abortion is improved and you know when the best time is to get them. And, you know, it's just horrifying reality. You know, that there's a this, that whole sense of this is my child. This is my family. That's been completely wiped out. You also have, of course, and, and this is what really set it off is that, you know, men are the enemy. And it's this weird dynamic that women have with men because on the one hand, they want to be like men. They want what men have. And of course, radical feminists didn't want to be like good men. They wanted to be like the man who's, you know, having all kinds of affairs and doing whatever he wants and he's making a lot of money. And so it's, it's this imitation of man, but not the best of man. And then at the same time, it's this demand where they want men to change. You know, you have to become more like us. And Gloria Steinem, even in her 80s, she just came out with a book a couple of years ago talking about how the real goal is to just erase all gender and just to get rid of it. So that that's not something that enters into people's minds anymore at all. And so as a result, they the desire is to sort of shame or bully men into to changing. But all of this at the very heart is fundamentally to destroy the family and that fundamental building block of society. And so I don't think that they know this is what they're doing. You know, that this kind of, they're not necessarily mindful of that, but that's all of these pieces kind of add up to that, that element where you have women sort of acting in 
whatever their will wants them to do, they're allowed to do. It's it's all about their will and not God's will. So it, it's fascinating to see how all of these pieces unfold in such a way that's truly so diametrically opposed to who Our Lady is. You know, it's not like they're just, you know, maybe moved away a little bit from Catholic teaching on things. It's the exact opposite and actually mockery of who Our Lady is. Mm. Yeah, sometimes you just, I don't even have a comment for it. It's like, I mean, this is how I felt, people, when when Carrie was teaching the course. We would hit cut, if you recall, and all of us would just be in silence. We'd be like, right. well, yeah. okay, let's go on to the next lesson. <laughs> let's right. start recording. Because, like you said, once you see this, you can't unsee it. And, the yeah. you know, I got to tell you something. If you are interested in this, I'm, God, I hope you are. What you need to do is get the anti-Mary exposed. That book is so incredibly important for today. I have shared that book with so many people now um, in airports and on my, I shared it with the woman who was doing my nails like a month ago. I'm like, you've got to read this book. And it is so important. I didn't even ask her what she believed in or her faith or anything. I'm like, you're a woman and you need to read this book. Yeah. And I think men need to read the book too. I mean, that was what was fascinating too about the recording is I think you and I and the makeup artists were the only women in the room. It was a bunch of men. And I think because I'm not beating them up in the book, you know, we, we spent 50 years blaming men for everything. And I, I, what I really want to do in the book is look at our own culpability and say, you know, we can't ignore these things. It's not helping women for us to ignore these elements. And so men find it really fascinating too. I had one man tell me over the weekend that he read it in three hours and he just devoured it. So anyway, I think that there's there's a lot that appeals to so many different people. It does. And I probably, I would imagine that for some men, it would give them a breath of fresh air to know that yeah. they are not the full number one prime enemy you know, enemy of the state type of a thing where it's, right. it's been, it's been, that, that lie has been spun for so long. It almost gives them like, oh, okay. So we're saying that like, we both are culpable for our actions and that mm-hmm. we affect one another, men and women. And right. so, you know, outside of understanding of what's been going on in the matriarchy for decades and decades and decades, but I would imagine for some men, it kind of gives them like a, you know, breath of fresh air of like, okay, right. it's good to hear this perspective. Yeah. And I think that's one of the saddest things is you've got, very good men who are trying to treat women well, and they just don't even know what to do because it seems like they can't win no matter what they do. So you you see this tremendous disengagement and a deep resentment towards women, which is incredibly sad because so much of this is just has come to us through fashion, the, the fashion ideas, not necessarily fashion industry, although it's come through that too, but what the matriarchy is made fashionable. And so there's an element of, you know, how we are are not culpable for all of it because it's just the air that we breathe and what we're used to. So trying to help both sides understand each other better, I think, is another was another one of the goals of this book. And, you know, to stop the that battle of the sexes, I think that's the other piece that, you know, Satan wants to sow confusion and, you know, clashing anywhere that he can. And this has just been fertile ground for him to really, you know, point the, everybody to point finger the other side, instead of just stepping back and saying, look, we're being totally manipulated here. How do we get out of this? How do we come back to what is true and beautiful and life-giving instead of just this constant battle? Yeah. And I, what I do like about this, just to give you a glimmer of hope here, is that at the end of your book, Carrie, you do give... (laughs) 
<laughs> us uh, a pathway of like, what is like, how do we come out of this? Yeah. yeah. And steps we can take, things to focus on. And so it's not, it's, it's not a complete doom and gloom book. Right. But, you know, the truth sometimes is, and we mm. need to be aware of what's going on and how it is currently still affecting us. And, and, and like going on, this war is raging louder than it ever has than right now at this time. Yeah. No, and you can see that. I mean, there's definite links between abortion and socialism. So it's no surprise that these are the two hot button issues in the culture right now. And, you know, the one thing that's fascinating too, is just to see how much the the matriarch is really overplaying its hand. I mean, even with some of these, the new laws in New York and in, in Illinois, I mean, these are just horrific infanticide kinds of laws that are now on the books. And, you know, I think reasonable people are saying like, this is just a road too far. Like, you know, there's that sense. So I think that that's incredibly hopeful, but yeah, no, I, I definitely didn't want it to be one of these books where you close the book and you're like, we just need to move to a cave kind of feeling, but to actually provide a, a bright light of, you know, how do we get back to something that is healthy and where we're not going to be destroyed by this, by this ideology any longer. Right. And I, I love, I mean, Mary herself, the blessed mother is so perfectly balanced yeah. that I'm, I was so happy to read, especially towards the end, the very balanced approach that it's not mm-hmm. the pendulum swing swings one way, like you said, go into a cave or revert back to this idea of a woman that I think some of the maybe first or second wave feminist groups or feminism in general were trying to fight against. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Maybe initially, just to give maybe them some type of a credit, maybe where something was coming from. But mm-hmm. it you give because this is what Mary gives this balanced approach of how to how to right. deal with the anti-Marian culture today. What is our response to that? How do we mm-hmm. start to look at our lives as women, like our very life, the feminine genius that we have within us because of our creation as woman? And how does that play out in our life as a mm-hmm. single woman, married woman, as a mother, as a retiree, as a grandmother, all of it in between? And right. I really appreciated that piece. Well, thank you. Yeah, I, and it's this is one thing I I didn't put in the book. Probably go in a future book, but I'm I've looked really deeply. I mean, you mentioned this balance that Our Lady has. Well, this is the balance that the Church has, and the beauty of it. So, if you look back at feminism, what it's really responding to is actually Protestantism, and the Protestant right. Reformation. You know, what did they throw out? Well, they threw out Our Lady. They threw out female religious vocations. And so what is left is basically they automatically set up the system where men are on a pedestal because they're the avenues through which salvation has to come. And women don't have any role anymore except to sort of respond to them. And so you can see that that, you know, immediately would set up kind of this automatic misogynistic pattern within the culture, but you don't see that it didn't come from Catholicism. You know, feminism wasn't responding to Catholicism per se. Yes, of course, you have all sorts of accusations about, you know, how the church hates women, but it's just preposterous when you look at how women have been treated. And actually the dignity that the whole world understands that women have today came through Catholicism, came through Christ first, and then it came through this flourishing of the understanding of who Our Lady is. So it's very ironic that, you know, all of this blame is pinned upon the church when the dignity of woman came from the church in the first place. It's a new idea. No other world religion had this idea. So 
it's fascinating to see that that reaction. But I think so much of it, again, comes from Protestantism. So if we start looking back at what is the church offering women? How do how are we supposed to understand ourselves within this context of Our Lady as, as a model and then through religious life as another model to help women understand you know, how God is calling them? And you see this beautiful relationship of God the Father and daughter, you know, being daughters of God the Father and that kind of trust that comes and the seeds that are planted both spiritually and physically in the woman's life and how they develop. And and I think that's an exciting thing that I, I feel like the Holy Spirit's really led me to start considering because again, you go back to Protestantism, there's nothing there. The only thing that they can do is say women have to be like men because they've just cut out this huge piece of womanhood. And, you know, that's the beauty of our faith is we have so much more that says, no, we we understand there's more to us than just mimicking men. And so that's the great part of that balance that Our Lady offers us and the church offers us. Mm, amen. Yes, it does. I love this. If you want to hear more about the anti-Mary exposed, then I highly suggest you to sign up for Luxu when registration opens again because Carrie goes over her book and goes in depth into these topics so much more so. We've got a lot of fun extra bonus material with Carrie that we have there too with an interview between <laughs> her and I, and we'll we'll do some more stuff. So now I'd like to move into this space where all it, it's beautiful. Your you have a new book. Mm-hmm. I I love what God's doing in your life. It amazes me. All of the books you've written, you are a mother, you are a wife. It's amazing. But you have another one that's coming out, Theology mm-hmm. of Home. This mm-hmm. was, it, it just seems so beautiful and gradual how everything is going. You have the Marian yeah. option, the anti-Marian exposure, the right. theology of home. Like, let's right. get down to like bringing in at the end of the anti-Marian exposed of the balance of what Mary offers. And then you take that balance, load it into your home to create this beautifully balanced purposeful home life that Mm -hmm. can battle what the anti-Mary does, which you had said its aim is to destroy the family. And so to create a home where it's Mm Christ-centered and the beautiful Marian option within that space and and, in the home is so fantastic. So everything is, I don't know if you knew this before going into writing all this, Carrie, but like God is clearly working so fantastically (laughs) in this process. Oh, thank you. Yeah. No, it's been a funny process because all of these things kind of have just developed one thing at a time. In fact, the, the, the idea for Theology of Home came one afternoon. I was on my treadmill and um, just bam, there was the words. You know, it seems like so much of our our efforts in the religious life, all we want to do is just get home. You know, we want to get to heaven. And there's something compelling about that. I mean, we, there's something really that draws us on, you know, that St. Paul talks about that race that we're running and just well, all we want to do is get home. So that was really where the idea came from. But I think that my books in a certain respect are have been, and I think a lot of Catholics have been doing this for a long time. We've been on kind of playing defense, trying to explain what's going on. And there's it's obviously hugely important to do that. But I think we we haven't been playing offense very well. And Theology of Home feels like a book on offense to me because it's highly illustrated. There's there's 200 pictures in it of beautiful homes and families. But it's also some really beautiful meditations about home. And let's face it, I mean, our culture is completely enthralled by home right now between the TV shows and the stores that are available and all this emphasis put on home. But it's not just because we want to decorate our homes. I think there's something, it's pointing to something deeper. I think we're feeling the intensity of the culture and we sort of 
want a place of sanctuary. But home is also meant to be sort of a foreshadowing of what heaven will be like. And I think that those desires are there. We may not be able to articulate them and we may not be thinking those things when we're, you know, buying new throw pillows, but that's part and parcel of it. And so my co-authors and I really wanted to go into thinking about these things more deeply, not in a way that, you know, you're tasked with going and journaling or anything, but just a meditation to go along with these beautiful pictures. And so it's been a hugely fun project and one I never dreamed I would I would do something like this. I have a book with photographs in it, but um, it's been really just fun. And the kind of book that you can give to anybody. I have had some really remarkable friends on Facebook that, you know, I never dreamed would read any of my books. And this is the one where people say, oh, I can't wait to read that. And, you know, they know I'm Catholic, but there's still, some, again, something about home that just resonates so deeply with people. And I guess we're just kind of tapping into that unwittingly or not. Yeah, I, I love it. I think from, you know, talking from just a different perspective for theology of home, there are so many of us, I am not, but there's so many of us that come from broken homes. Mm -hmm. My husband, my husband does. Mm. And the, the hurt that is so deep that comes from that Mm-hmm. For a variety of reasons, we even the even those of us who come from those broken homes, from those troubled homes, from disordered homes, whatever you want to call it, we desire home. We desire yeah. a place, like you said, of sanctuary, a place of peace, a mm-hmm. place where we are known, where we are loved, where we are welcomed. Mm-hmm. And home is such a, to use a, a word that people love to use today, but it's such a trigger word. I mean, yeah. Yeah. if you really understand its meaning, but home is mm-hmm. is what we long for. It's mm-hmm. that, like you said, it's that place of belonging, and where we really belong, as you as you have mentioned, is heaven. Right? We've been created for that. We, that's where we, we, our journey. We are pilgrims here to get there. In the meantime. Our physical, literal homes can be places where we can let our soul truly rest and be renewed in that space with Mm -hmm. the people around us. And I'm really, I've been able to have, I'll be honest, I've been able to have a sneak peek into this book, my friends. And uh, (laughs) it is, I'm really excited for this to be out there. And it is released, it'll be released this September, 2019. Again, that's Theology of Home. And don't worry, we're going to put all these links in the show notes for you to look at them and grab them. You can have a whole Dr. Carrie Gress library. I hope you do. <laughs> I know that I do, and it's well worth the space on my bookshelf. Uh, this will be a wonderful one to sit down with. It's I love it because it's so different from all of your other mm-hmm. books, Carrie, that yeah. you can sit down and flip through pages and be inspired. You know, you're really right. like, okay, I think I can do this. Yes, like this is, <laughs> that makes sense to me. Like, and, and mm-hmm. that that family and how they did that, it's just, it's mm-hmm. really beautiful to, for us to see this. And I love right. the fact that it's a book and not Instagram where mm-hmm. you can flip through Instagram and see picture after picture, mm-hmm. but you're not getting what you get in this book of really, and obviously the purpose behind it of theology of home. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and the different themes of it. I, you know, even you mentioning the the broken homes. We know that they're broken. We know there's something wrong with them, and that, that's one of the fascinating pieces to me. That you know, we don't just sort of accept it like this is the way it is, but we know that it's not meant to be that way. So even in their brokenness, we recognize that what home ought to be 
and you know, when it's, there's something wrong when it isn't. And so that was even just looking at, actually, one of the funny things was to even just looking at how much we love home and so many pieces about it. And yet even the word homemaker is so out of style, you know, no one calls themselves a homemaker anymore. It's almost taboo, you know, like how embarrassing. And yet if you look at the elements of home and, and we go through this great list of them, um, you know, things like nourishment, hospitality, safety, comfort, light, and just really have some rich meditations on these concepts. These are things that people love. Like there should be no shame whatsoever in calling yourself a homemaker when you realize what you can give to others through this experience of home and just the power that that is. It's really overwhelming and and beautiful when we, you know, you step back from it and look at just how amazing it can be for not just your immediate family, but for people on the outside that you have in, you share meals or you host them in your house for extended stay. These are incredible gifts we can give to people on that very basic level. And these are the things that people I think are missing in their lives so much, that physical contact and relationships and being cared for. They're really important pieces that it's fun to start thinking about how do we put them back into people's lives in a way that's healthy and ordered instead of just, oh, you're, you know, you're a doormat, which is by and large how a homemaker is characterized. Right. Absolutely. I love this. And so to correspond with this theology of home, you're going to also be offering some, a neat store that you've put together, some really amazing items in there for the home. Yeah, no. And this was totally accidental. A couple of years ago, I had this inside, I was standing in my kitchen and um, it struck me, you know, I, I, love receiving or buying those gorgeous soy candles. They, you know, they burn forever and they smell amazing, especially in a kitchen. And I realized that there just aren't that, there aren't Catholic ones. I didn't know of any Catholic ones. And so I thought we have 2000 years of art. We have all of these different (laughs) scents. We have all this different, you know, concepts within our church. Why don't we, why don't I make candles like this. And so, you know, my husband, I told my husband about the idea and he thought I was nuts because neither one of us had ever made a candle before. And I'm allergic to crafts. Like I just don't like them at all. So the fact that, you know, we ended up getting into the candle making business is, you know, we still laugh about it, but yeah, it's called Stella Morris and Company Candles. And we have a one called Baptism that has a chrism scent of chrism, the chrism oil that the child receives at baptism. And we have another one called Our Lady of Victory, which is inspired by this perfume that monks on the island of Capri used to make. And it's just totally heavenly. It's my favorite scent. And then we have another one called Guadalupe that we blended rose as well as citrus together. So it's not that heavy rose scent. And of course I have, you know, a thousand other ideas of candles I would love to make. We just have to, like the production side is, is the hardest part. So we started working on that. And then from there, it was just natural to think about well, what other products could we add? Because there's not a lot of Catholic home products. You can find a lot of, you know, your Jesus statues and all kinds of things at stores, but there's not a lot of stuff that's home related. So we are adding a, a beautiful cutting board. I have a local friend making these white maple cutting boards with our star burned into them that they should just be stunning. We've got these great handbags. They're jute with leather handles with our theology of home and the whole logo on that and working on hand towels. And anyway, so it's been really fun to sort of dream about like, what would I like? love in my home and then presumably other people will love them too. So yeah, we'll see what ends up happening with this. I mean, it's totally different direction than obviously book publishing, but it's been a really fun one to share with friends and family. 
I love it. I I love the idea of home decor. I'm not skilled necessarily in it. I usually mm-hmm. have people help me to do this, but I but I love the idea of it and I love looking for ideas. And I've always you know, you can see so many things, join a gains and all of this right. stuff that goes on and it's great and all, but I want to incorporate my faith more into my yeah. home, you know, like well, like those images right. and those things that you right. have that remind you and that point to something more than that's just pretty. Yeah, no, and I think that's absolutely the point is people have kind of gotten tired of just, you know, design after design after design. They want greater depth. And um, so I can see those things being incredible wedding gifts or a housewarming gift, that kind of thing. Um, the best thing about the candles too is you if you get them blessed, they actually have exercising powers. So, you know, you give it away, give it to your fallen away son and daughter-in-law. You know, there are spiritual things happening in their home when they burn that candle that wouldn't happen with, you know, a non-blessed candle. So it's kind of amazing to just see the, the different depths that our faith offers us and how we can really build on those and use them in a way that's compelling and beautiful and, and also helps make us holy too. I love that. I And for the record, I'm a huge fan of the candles. I love them. I got the Guadalupe <laughs> candles for my mother and for my sisters for Mother's Day. And then now the Victory candle you gave me when I gave birth to my son, Victory. Right. And right. I yeah. have been using that uh, almost every day. Not quite every day, I'll be honest, but I'll light it almost every day for my morning prayer. Now, I'm. it's almost out, and that was a year ago. Yeah, they last incredibly Long. I mean, they're 100% soy, and um, we've been real, real sticklers about the quality of them too. You know, there's all kinds of things. You know, go have someone else make them. Well, then they want to make it a soy blend, and we don't know what's in it. And I just didn't want that in my home. So I, I you know, I know other people don't want that too. But that's the best part about it is they, they burn for a really long time. They're wonderful. And then the one that I've gotten the most. I guess, questions about on Instagram is the baptismal candle because mm-hmm. when one of my nephews was baptized, I put together this little baptismal gift for him and I included the baptismal mm-hmm. candle and it smells like the chrism. Like I, I mean, we all know, you love kissing babies that have just been baptized because they smell so dang good. You're just like, exactly. oh my gosh, can I just, like I purposely will rub my face on their forehead <laughs> so I can like have some on my skin a little right. bit longer. Right. It's so love good. that scent. Yeah. That candle is just heavenly. And I now have had, I've had some friends and followers on Instagram tell me that they've gotten the candle and they are going to light it on the anniversary of their kid's baptism every year. And I just thought, what a beautiful thing. Like that, like that, that child will be able to hold on to that candle probably Mm. for the rest of their life if they just light it one day a year. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that is amazing. Like to me, that yeah. what That's a gift a you could give to someone yeah. that could like be carrying right. through for their whole generation, like their whole life, yeah. they could pass it on. Right. I just think that's a great idea. I yeah. highly recommend you grabbing these candles. They are, and honest to God, I am not just, they are the only candles I buy now. They're the only <laughs> ones I, I, I won't buy any other ones. I'm like, no, I just want, it's, I love giving my money to another, you know, amazing woman who's working hard and, you know, you know, trying to promote the kingdom, but they're, the quality is fabulous. It's better quality than I've had in any other candle and they smell better than mm-hmm. any other scent that you can get from Yankee Candle or yeah, yeah. wherever else that you look for your candles. It's just, right. there's something that we're like, you know, you walk into like a church and your senses are engaged and you're, and like it, it kind of brings you into a place of reverence and hopefully meditation or prayer. When I light these candles, I have a similar 
sensation, a similar feeling. Yeah. One woman said, this is, you know, smelling this just reminds me of my childhood and walking into a church. And yeah, I mean, it's those kinds of things where you're like, okay, I guess we finally nailed it because it took a lot of work to get that scent right. And um, we had a lot of, you know, some of them smelled like aftershave. One of them, we, I thought I had it nailed. We, you know, lit the candle and like five minutes into it, this tuna smell showed up from something that we were burning in it. And um, so we had to start (laughs) over, but um, I was like, you know, I can't sell the Good Friday and Lent candle. Like no one's buying that. So (laughs) yeah, it was, you know, meatless Friday candle. So it was really challenging, but it's been so rewarding to have done all that work to get the the scent right. And um, I I will say I have a a dear friend who's 90, he's in his nineties. He lives by himself and we sent him some of our candles and he just loves them. He says his night prayers with them. And I think, you know, it's just brought him deeper into prayer, but he just, he doesn't feel so lonely, I think too, because it feels like someone else is really there. And that, you know, just that very simple act of lighting a candle. And one night he sent me a text, he had burned through the first one and, you know, they're old fashioned glasses. So he was actually drinking his bourbon out of the empty first candle and he was burning another candle as he was saying his night prayer. So anyway, I just loved it. You know, all that imagery and just all the different ways it can be used. I love it. And that's, I mean, it's a beautiful capstone in, in a sense to the theology of home. I mean, it's just, it's, it's so beautiful what home can do, the things that we put in our home that draw us into the Lord, draw yeah. us into prayer and into that connected place that He calls us to. I just love it. This has been an amazing conversation. We have talked about some, the marrying option. We've talked about the matriarchy. We have talked about the We've tenets of the anti-Mary. We've talked right. about, you know, the theology of home and candles. <laughs> this is a full packed podcast. Clearly, clearly, I'd love to rope you in for another one so that we can Great. just dive deeper into something else, whatever sure. else like the Holy Spirit inspires. But I cannot thank you enough. Carrie, you are a true blessing to the church and obviously to your husband and to your family, but to us as well. What you do oh, for you. us and the work that you put into it truly does matter. You really are doing something beautiful. I am so excited to have you as a featured presenter for LuxU. I cannot wait for your course to drop inside Lux University. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. And before we leave, could we get a challenge from you for our listeners? You know, I would love for your listeners to really start thinking about how they can really go on offense in their faith instead of just feeling like you have to defend it. And, you know, I think a lot of times we're kind of apologetic for the faith, you know, oh, you can't use birth control or, you know, all those kinds of things that we we feel like we have to kind of guard ourselves against. But how do we turn that around and start thinking about how we can live at our faith in a way that's beautiful and compelling to others in its authenticity instead of just sort of hiding it. I think that would be because everybody's going to be inspired in different ways by the Holy Spirit of how to live that out, even in very tiny and small ways. Just how do we go on offense instead of just being defensive of the faith all the time? I love it. I love it. That's great. And I I like that you kept it so open-ended too, because one, the challenge is go on offense with the faith and then do that in your own life, how God's calling you in your own work and in your own vocation of how that works out. Yeah. 
Amen. There it is. Amen. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. Carrie, you're amazing. Thank you so much for being with us. <laughs> My pleasure. Um, cannot so wait for for the women who have signed up for Luxu to see you again teaching the course on the anti-Mary yourself. So wonderful. And before we head out of this podcast episode, we have a few things. So I have had, we've had some amazing new patrons for the Do Something Beautiful podcast. As I mentioned in the beginning of this podcast, we started a Patreon page for support for the podcast podcast. And so we have a few new patrons and I want to give a shout out to my new ones here. We have got Tamara Oberg and you know, God love you if I, and I'm sorry if I butcher your names, I'm trying my best here. And I was only going to go with first names like I've done before, but I thought maybe I would just try it out. So Tamara Oberg from Minnesota, Matt Wetzel from New York, Deb Meyer, from St. Charles, Missouri. That uh, We live in the same state. That's pretty awesome, Deb. Thanks so much for your support. Michaela Everson from California and Andrea Silv... Oh, no, Andrea. I, your name, um, Salvaggi, Salvaggi. Savaji, who knows? I apologize. Andrea, you are amazing. And I am thank you so much from Charlotte, North Carolina. We have many more shout outs to give for some new patrons. Make sure you check out for the next podcast for those. And again, remember whatever you do today, do something beautiful for God. God love you. God bless. And I'll talk to you later. Bye.